everybody all praise. All praise be to the King of Hallelujah. Let his spirit minister unto you this day. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hey, glory. Glory, glory, glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hey, glory. Glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Have your way, Holy Ghost. Have your way, Holy Ghost. Have your way. Hallelujah. Have your way. Hallelujah. I don't know about you. Hallelujah. But when I think about what he's done for me, hallelujah, not only just, hallelujah, today, but when I reflect over my life, hallelujah, and think about how God's been good to me, hallelujah, over these 49 and a half years on this planet, he's brought me through many storms and trials and tribulations. Hallelujah. I just want to take time to give him praise and thanks in this place. If you won't praise him, I won't let the rock praise him for me. I'll stand and give him praise in this place. When I think of the goodness of Jesus and what he's done just for me, hallelujah, my soul cries out, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. From healing my body, hallelujah, clothing me in my right mind, hallelujah, enabling me to speak, hallelujah, giving me the words to declare for him. I thank him, I thank him, I thank him, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I wasn't supposed to be here, hallelujah, hallelujah, but he, because of his mercy, his grace, his love and his kindness. Sometimes, saints, you got to take what he gave you and make what he wants, which is to give him glory with his hands, with your feet, your mouth, your extremities of what you have. Give him praise, glory, and honor. I decided a long time ago, it's not about what I'm waiting on him to do. It's to thanking him for what he's already done. I'll use my mind, my mouth, 
and my hands to give him praise glory and honor hallelujah hallelujah that's called taking what he gave you and making what he want because I learned to get out of the way and let him have his way he'll take what you got if you give him what you got give him what you got so that he can in turn fill you up with what he got for you there's some things that's in store for us that we gotta praise him for in advance and believe him by faith now faith not yesterday or even today of what happened a few minutes ago but right now where I stand he's already stood hallelujah so we gotta praise him for where we're standing he's already stood there and went before us praise him in advance hallelujah hallelujah I know where we gotta stand a speaker, but I'm telling you right now, I feel good, good, good in my soul today. When I learn to stop trying to wait on him to do this, that, and the other, and give him praise for what he's already done, for a glimpse of the reflection of where I've been to where I am now, we're going to give him some praise in this place. We're going to give him some praise in this place. Hallelujah. To shake this building. Hallelujah. Shake this corner. Shake the atmosphere because when you praise him, somebody is getting loose. You hear what I'm saying? When you praise him, some change is falling off of somebody. It may not be where we are in this physical building, but somebody is getting released when you praise him. Hallelujah. Because he's not limited to time, space, or wherever that we are, when we do what he's commanded us, when we lift him up, he's drawing all men unto himself within this earth. You may not know it, but your praise is releasing somebody that want to be free. It's midnight for somebody else, but it's joy in the morning for somebody else somewhere else. Giving praise for somebody's relief today. Hallelujah. And as you do the praising and worshiping, he's not only going to take and release them, but he's going to release you. Hallelujah. Give him praise. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, glory. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, glory. Glory, glory, glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All glory. We bless your name in this place. Hallelujah. We magnify your name. Hallelujah. All glory. Mm. Ha, hallelujah. We bless your name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All glory, 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 glory. Hallelujah. We bless your name. Hallelujah. We bless your name. Hallelujah. We bless your name. Hallelujah. Oh, glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Have your way in here. Mm. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Mm. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We bless your name in this place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just before the angel of this house comes, 
stretch forth your hands towards the basket so we can bless the offering. Father God, in the name of Jesus, Lord God, we thank you for this, your offering, Lord God, and tithes that you have taken up, Lord God, this day. Father, we ask that you would bless those that had to give and those that didn't have to give, that they may be able to give upon the next appointed time. In the mighty name of Jesus, Lord God, we thank you for meeting the needs of this house, Lord God, and we praise you in advance, Lord God, for the release, Lord God, that's coming to this place, Lord God, and each and every one of us over the sound of my voice. In the name of Jesus, we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, receive the angel of this house in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. With a hearty amen. 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 Hallelujah. Hallelujah. see each and every one of you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, glory. So thankful to the maestro, Sir Isaac. Hallelujah. Yes, sir. You done stirred up. Oh, yes. Elder Tyler, eh? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Amen. Truly, we salute each and every one of you. Special salute goes out to the honorable Elder Jackie Lyseth. Amen. All the way from Ironton, Ohio. Hallelujah. We thank the Lord for her, for her family. Just Portsmouth is in the house. Did, did I miss something? Hallelujah. We just thank the Lord. Hallelujah. I, I, don't, I don't plan to, to wear your patience as they say, but there is a word from the Lord. Hallelujah. We've been talking over the last few weeks about the interaction between the people of God and God. And we've been discussing God's attempt to identify himself so that we can have a better understanding of who he is and thus a more intimate relationship with him. For it is God's desire that he have an intimate, not disconnected, not disillusioned, not distant relationship with his creation. God struggles to define himself. Most definitions are based or they use the foundation of something else for which to describe it so that we can better understand it. But God struggles with this because there is nothing like him. Throughout scripture, God has shared with us his name. We've talked about the power of a name. We've been dealing over the last few weeks with the very first name that God gave us to give us some insight into who he is, and that is Elohim. We talked about Elohim and its definition as being the mighty one or the creator God. I've been discussing this and focused on that element of the name, but there is something very special about the name Elohim that I have not yet released. In Genesis, the first chapter and the first verse, there's very, uh, a very interesting and a very relevant definition 
and description of the name of God, Elohim, that appears in the second verse. Genesis 1 and 2. And the Bible declares the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. Now, the, the phrase, you may be seated, the phrase uh, that is translated formless and void comes from a uh, Hebrew phrase, tohu wabuhu, and it basically means a waste or barren land. In essence, uh, the epitome of today's garbage dump. Amen. And it refers to a location which entirely is uninhabitable, Amen. without form, without void, without life. So in this description of the earth, we see that it is a wasteland at this time. However, if you read the Bible long enough, you'll come across uh, scripture in the book of Isaiah, the 45th chapter and the 18th verse, that may seem to contradict what is being said here. Because it says in the 45th chapter and the 18th verse, Thus says the Lord who created the heavens, he is the God who formed the earth and made it. He established it and did not create it, waste, a waste place, but formed it to be inhabited. So this passage then reveals that God didn't create waste, yet in Genesis we find that the earth was a wasteland. So sometime between Genesis 1 1 and Genesis 1 2, the earth got messed up. And this is exactly what transpired when Lucifer was cast out of heaven. And the third of the innumerable angels fell with him. Isaiah, the 14th chapter, Ezekiel, the 28th chapter, will give you some insight into this. I encourage you to read it in your time of reflection. But it tells us that Satan rebelled against God and was kicked out of heaven. Well, where was he kicked to? He was kicked to the earth. He came down here and he was upset. The Bible declares that he came down with great wrath because he knew his time was short. In other words, he knew he messed up. Amen. I heard a preacher once say, one of the reasons he don't like you is because we mess up all the time, but God continuously gives us another chance. Amen. He messed up once, and that was all he got. He got one time to do it right, and he blew it. We blow it all the time, yet God still chooses to give us grace. Amen. But because of this uh, emptiness and in in this garbage on the earth, because uh, Lucifer has been cast into the earth, becoming Satan with his demons, being cast down, making the planet uninhabitable and destructive, as described in Isaiah 14, 12 through 17, what we find is that the devil does exactly the same thing in each of the lives of us. Through the power of sin. He takes something that is beautiful, something that God created, and he takes this masterpiece that God placed his image on and does everything he can to turn it into a wasteland. Sometimes you wake up and you feel like you are a wasteland. Amen. 
when you begin to think about some of the things that you've done, some of the places you've been, the experiences you've had, it becomes a constant reminder in your natural thinking that you are a wasteland, a garbage dump. This is what the enemy would have you to believe about yourself. He doesn't want you to understand the masterpiece that you are. This is why you should remember the name Elohim and hold this name close to your heart because in the declaration of this name, it brings everything back into right perspective. You see, Scripture tells us that Elohim in his plurality hovered over the wasteland of life and brought order and redemption and beauty. He restored what had been created and was destroyed and created again. You'll find this in Genesis 1 and 3. He created light and turned what had been a swampland of darkness, a a place of separation from uh, God who is light. He made it light. He made the earth livable. He came into something that Satan messed up, and he restored it. This is the thing that I want you to begin to understand and think about when you think about the name Elohim. Elohim, beyond meaning strong one or creator God, means restorer. Now, let's move forward to Jesus for a moment. What's the very first miracle of Jesus? The first miracle that's written in Scripture of Jesus. Turn water into wine. Turn water, that's, that's, that's the wino's favorite scripture. Turn water into wine. We know the story. Jesus is hanging out with his mother. You see, men, there's nothing wrong with hanging out with your mama. But he's hanging out with his mother. They go to a, a wedding. And, you know, they, they did it upright. Their weddings lasted more than a couple hours. They were, they were days long. And they're at this wedding, and his mother gets frantic and comes over to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, there's no more wine. And Jesus is like, woman, now first off, um, I would never have said that. Because my mama would have said to God, my father, you better come get your son because I'm about to kill him before his time. But he says, woman, what does this have to do with me? But I I, I love her response. She just blows over that, and she goes, get some folk. And when she goes to get the people, she says, hey, whatever he tells you to do, do it. So Jesus, and and we're so fixated on the water and the wine, Jesus tells them, go get these pots, and he talks about these specific pots that he wants these people, these workers to get, and these pots are used pots. These pots are actually now, theologically, many people argue about the length or the the depth at which they were used, but um, they were essentially used as cleansing pots. So at the very least, they were used to wash the hands of the guests at the greatest of their use, they were used to wash the feet and uh, other parts uh, of the body for the guests that would come. And Jesus takes this wasteland of pots and he says, go fill it with water. 
and we know the story. They take that in, and it becomes the best wine. It's California wine from the wine country kind of wine. And they're enjoying it. And what a lot of people miss is that Jesus took the pot that had been used for something else and made it new. We're fixated on the fact that there was an exchange of water into wine, and we missed the fact that when Jesus pours into you, when Jesus takes this old body and pours into it the essence of who he is, he takes what was once old and he makes it new. Because it's got to be something better than it was to contain what he's placed in it, else it would burst. The very first miracle that Jesus performs points right to his power of redemption, his power of restoration. It is a miracle that talks about his redemptive power. It's all about restoring, taking what everyone has cast away, taking what other people look at as used and broken and no longer needed and not the best of the best and pouring something into it that changes its very countenance. This is the amazing thing because in this declaration, what he is saying is I am Elohim, the restorer. You see, one of the greatest lessons to learn about Elohim is that in addition to creating something out of nothing, he can take something that the devil has junked up and fix it up. You see, God as Elohim is the original fixer-upper. He can make it right again. When Satan attempts to make your life a mess, a living hell, God's spirit can make it a beautiful garden. When Satan tries to bring death where there once was life, God's spirit can bring life again. This alone should be enough to bring hope to those that are hurting. It should be enough to lift your heart into the realm of faith whereby you access the very promise of God. You see, Elohim is a God who transforms mess into a miracle. He transforms darkness into light. He transforms the desolate, the uninhabitable recesses of your soul into places of fertile growth. And when he does this, he wants you, he wants me, he wants us to reflect him. The purpose of him pouring into us is that we might better reflect his image in the earth. Amen. Genesis 1 and 26 tells us that one of our primary purposes is this. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now, an image is a mirror. In the morning when you go to the mirror and you get ready for your day, uh, your image flashes back at you from the mirror. It reflects you accurately. 
So when God made mankind in his image, the image of the triune plural Elohim, he commissions mankind at a higher level than every other thing that he has created. The flowers are not asked to be the image of God. The beasts of the field are not asked to be the image of God. The fish of the sea are not asked to be the image of God. Only humanity is given a great and awesome privilege and the capacity to reflect God, you ought to look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor, you're a mirror. You see, every other creation testifies of God's majesty, but mankind mirrors God. You see, you and I have been created to mirror the divine in history. We are to mirror him because he stamped his image upon us. As we continue to look into this, the deep waters of God's names, you might be thinking to yourself, you know, this all sounds good, but I've learned a little bit of Hebrew, and that's nice as well, but what does it have to do with me as I live today with my noisy kids, with my soulmate that sometimes gets on my nerves? Or if you're single, what does it have to do with the lonely nights? or the search for personal significance? What about my health? What about my finances? What about my family or friend that's in the hospital trying to hold on to life? You may be wondering to yourself, what is it that is important about the names of God, knowing the names of God that will uh, allow me to interact with life today? What has everything to do with it? You see, Genesis 2, 1 through 3 says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their hosts. By the the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. You see, on day one, God created On day two, God created. On day three, four, five, and six, God created. And after he created on each and every day, he said, that's good. God left the creation of mankind for the sixth day so that mankind wouldn't have to live in darkness. He waited until All of his creation was ready to receive man, and then he made man. And he gets to the seventh day, and he doesn't say that's good. He says that's very good. You see, up until now, up until this time, he had said that things were just good. But after he creates man, he said the creation was very good. And then he rested which is interesting because he didn't seem to work too hard to make his creation. After all, he had just spoken it into existence. He probably didn't even get his hands dirty until he formed man from the dust of the earth. So when we read that God rested, we shouldn't think that he got tired or needed to take a break. Rather, what this means is he was finished. So when we Uh, Think about the resting of God. It is really the declaration that I am finished. There is nothing left 
for me to do. I have accomplished that for which I was determined to make happen. He completed it. Uh, that's what, uh, when, we, when he decided to sanctify this seventh day, to sanctify something is to set it apart as unique or special. So he declares that his day of rest is to be unlike any other day. Uh-huh. Now keep in mind that he, he didn't sanctify the work days. He sanctified the rest day. He didn't sanctify the day that he was getting everything ready, doing all of his stuff and bringing everything into existence. Uh, the day he declared that was special was the day that he chose to take a break. In fact, God carries this concept throughout the Old and the New Testament, relating it to other things as well. You see, in the Old Testament, not only does God say to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, but he also consecrates every seventh year as a sabbatical year of rest. You, You know, if you loan somebody money and if they haven't paid you back in seven years, you're to forgive them of the remaining debt. If you want to if you want to be like the word of God declares, you're to release them of that debt. You see, the Israelites were instructed to rest the land from farming. Think about this. Every seventh year, Leviticus 25, 3 through 7, he says, rest the land. God declared every 49th year, that's seven multiplied by seven, to be a year of jubilee, a restoration of order through the implementation of the Sabbath principle of rest and freedom. Now, in the New Testament... We're never instructed to keep Saturday as the Sabbath day of rest. In fact, in the New Testament, we read that we're uh, not allowed, we're not to allow anyone else to legislate our days for us. Colossians 2, 16 through 17 says, let, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. So typically we experience a day of rest on Sunday during the church age because that's the day that Christ was resurrected from the grave. Regardless of the day, the principle of the Sabbath rest continues up until now. Now, in the book of Hebrews, God lays out for us a principle of rest, particularly linking it to the work of creation, and this is where you get your portion. It says this, he said, or he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all of his works, Hebrews 4 and 4. Now, if you move ahead to verses 9 through 11, you'll read a personal application of what this means to us today. And it says this, so there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works, as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest. So when God finished everything, he needed to do He created the worlds and everything that's contained in, he was able to rest or to finish what he had started. The reason that he could could rest was that he infused his creation 
with the ability to reproduce. Let me give you an example. He gave flowers seeds so that the flower can be self-perpetuating. He gave the animals the desire and the ability to reproduce. He assigns tasks to insects and to birds in the air to assist in cross-pollination for the continuation of vegetation. And when he created man and woman, he instilled in them the miracle of birth. I was at my Uncle Mark's house about four or five months ago, and he had a watermelon. And it never really dawned on me. This watermelon, he had seeds in it. And what do we normally do with the watermelon seed? We spit them out. And then you get mad when you're chewing on the watermelon and you missed one and you bite down on it because it's, ugh, it just gives you that feeling. So here I am, I'm, for whatever reason, I'm starting to pluck out all these seeds and I'm looking at these seeds and the spirit of the Lord spoke to me, the reproduction of anything is already planted in the thing that needs to be reproduced. So I looked at my wife. I said, gather up all these seeds. And she thought I was crazy. And she had already started doing things and, and you know, uh, doing some gardening and, and planting things um, in, in, a, in a, a garden to eat. And I said, you know something? We're going to have some watermelon. And I took the seeds And we dried them off, and we followed the instructions. It was a little late in the year, so it didn't come out the way I wanted it to. But we ran out on the side of a house. I scraped away some some, uh, uh, mulch out the way. I threw the seeds down in one big pile. Probably wasn't the best way to do it. (laughs) Kicked some dirt back over it. I said, God, this is your responsibility. In other words, I'm not watering it. I'm not doing anything else. If these are meant to grow, if the seed of a thing is in itself, sure enough, it grew. And what I didn't know was the watermelon is really a vine plant, and it'll spread out and take over, and it started killing our sunflowers. And I was like, whoa, whoa, now. I like the sunflowers pretty. But it grew, and we got these watermelon. Now, because I didn't plant it in in the right season, I did not get to enjoy the fruit there, but I got to see the actual watermelons begin to grow and grow, and I think the biggest one we got was like about that. But it's an amazing thing when you think about what God has given us the ability to do. He put into creation, its ability to reproduce after its kind, which is why the enemy has come so strong against mankind with this um, diversion of thinking, and it's really a break in man's ability to reproduce, because a man with a man and a woman with a woman cannot reproduce. They cannot. It is impossible. I don't care if you associate with or if you identify as, if you don't have the God-given parts to do what God created you to do, you cannot do it. I digress. But he creates man and woman, and he instills in them the miracle of birth. God only had to create once. 
He did not create and recreate and recreate and recreate. When Elohim created the world, he built it into his creation, the capacity for reproduction for generations to come. So what God is telling us through this passage in the fourth chapter of Hebrews is that he has likewise established a rest for us. So first, he created a rest for the people of Israel. That rest was called the promised land. And in the promised land, there had been some other folks that had already dug wells and built buildings and cultivated the land. And when the Israelites were in bondage in Egypt, God was preparing a place for them. They simply had to walk into it to enjoy it. I want you to hold that thought. Walk in and enjoy it. It was prepared for them. It doesn't matter who may be there now. It was prepared for them. Uh, a family member of mine once asked me this question. What right does Israel have to claim something if other people were there? And I said, because the owner of the something is the only one that has the right to give that something to whomever he or she desires. In this case, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and they there dwell, that, that dwell therein. And God determined that that land was for Israel. Amen. He's the only one with the authority to truly give. Yeah. All that Israel needed to do was walk into it and enjoy it. And now God has prepared a place of rest for you. Amen. Remember, rest is not I'm tired. Rest is I'm done. If you belong to Jesus Christ, you are a part of the people of God. And as a member of the family of God, you can enter into the finished work that he has for you. It's called a Sabbath rest because it's already completed. You see, rather than trying to make God do something for you, you can rest in what God has already done for you. He's already prepared works for you to do so that you might walk in them. You don't have to scheme or manipulate or wear yourself out trying to live your life in God's will. Scripture says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we could Walk in them. Ephesians 2 and 10. Check the text. Mm -hmm. You see, whatever God is going to do for you, he's already done for you. Whatever God has planned for you to do, he has already, he has already planned it. Whatever God has purposed in your life, he has already purposed it. God is not trying to figure out what to do with you. God has already figured it out, and he's just waiting for you to walk in what he has set up. Yes, sir. You see, your job as a follower of Jesus isn't to try to outwit or outplay or outsmart God to try to figure out your own personal destiny for yourself. God has already drawn the map of your life. It's a good life. It's filled with both future and a hope. Jeremiah 29 and 11, check the text. It's a plan that's self-perpetuating. It's a plan that you just need to obey. It's a plan that will provide everything that you need to be successful in it. It's a plan that will not fail. It doesn't matter what the enemy might throw at you. It doesn't matter what life might throw at you. It's a plan that shall not and cannot fail. Uh You just need to obey him fully 
so that you can walk in what he has already done. He's not planning. He has planned. Amen. The wonderful thing is that in this plan, he never intended for you to create anything. You see, Elohim, the creator God, has already created it. This is why this is the first name that he tells us about himself. He's trying to get you to understand when I start thinking to myself that I have to come up with something, I remind myself that I don't have to create anything. God created it for me. I just have to use what he has created because he is Elohim, the creator God. He's already done what's needed to be done. I don't need to force it or make it happen because Elohim, the strong one, has already set it up. You don't need to go find it because Elohim, the personal and ever-present God, will reveal it to you as you seek him every day. You've heard me say this before. You're busy chasing things that were designed to chase after you. And as long as you keep chasing after stuff that was designed to chase after you, you will never catch what you're trying to run after. If you would just stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, all these things will be added unto you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. They're going to seek you out. You see, your purpose has your name on it. Your peace has your name on it. Your provision has your name on it. Your well-being has your name on it. Your rest has your name on it. But you have to keep in mind that the Israelites who left Egypt didn't enter God's rest because they quit Before they got there. They wanted to go their own way. While they were in the wilderness. They didn't want to go God's way. And because of this. They forfeited the rest. That was rightfully theirs. Everyone under the sound of my voice. Understand this clearly. I don't want you to miss the rest. That Elohim has created for you. I want you to to, uh, complete the obedience that he's called you to so that you can walk in the path that he's made for you even when it doesn't seem to make sense. You see, when you do, you'll discover that the strength and power that come from an all-powerful Elohim can do things for you you would never have even begun to imagine. I love this passage of scripture that tells us that God will take care of everything when we surrender and are obedient to him. The Bible says this in Psalm 127 and 2. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. You see, you can sleep peacefully at night. Because you are God's beloved. You've aligned yourself underneath his lordship and his comprehensive rule. And he is working while you're snoring. He can handle the issues of your life. He can make the connections and the uh, uh, intersections that you need and, and give you the wisdom to make the choices that will get you closer and closer as every day passes to the fulfillment of his will. If you will but give him surrender in your life. 
You see, Elohim can make something out of nothing. Ex nihilo. Something from absolutely nothing. There is no other power that can do this. Only God can take nothing and make something out of it. He can empower it to grow into something grand when nothing appears to be happening at all. He can bring order out of chaos. He is a great name because he is Elohim, the great and powerful one. But there's something wonderful about the name Elohim that God wanted us to understand. He wants to be so close to you that as he reveals who he is as Elohim, he doesn't want you to think that that's all he is. So just as you're wrapping your mind around Elohim, he says, hold on. That's just a little taste because I'm also Yehovah. And Yehovah deals with relationship. Yehovah is the relational declaration of who God is. What God is trying to get you to understand is, first, I created you. The first thing I want you to understand, I created you. So if you have to understand anything about me, you didn't come from nothing. You were not an accident. You were not a mistake. I created you. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. Then I put my image on you so you would know that not only did I create you, but I created you on purpose. But there's something else I need to tell you about who I am. Because there's something necessary. Because you'll never be able to walk in the rest or the finished work that I've done if you feel disconnected from who I am. So God wants us to know something very important about who he is. God wants you to know that he wants a relationship with you. Not as a master to a slave or even a boss to a worker. God wants you to know just how much he truly loves you and how much he desires to relate to you. You see, our finite minds cannot fully comprehend our infinite God. All we're able to grasp about God is based upon what he has revealed to us in Scripture. God has revealed his names as a way for us to begin to discover who he is. And as we consider each of the names that he gives, it deepens our understanding of what they actually reveal about who he is and allows us to begin to put the pieces together, which will help us understand who God is and what he looks like and what we are able to do through him. Because of I am, I can. Many of you know that my youngest son was in a traumatic uh, accident. He has a traumatic brain injury. And the doctors weren't really sure at first how this was all going to play out. And I've always said I'm an open book. In that moment of knowledge, trauma hit me. 
my humanity thought it had an opportunity to deny my connection to God. The question came up in my humanity, where was your God? My son sitting there, laying in the bed with respirator, can't breathe, can't talk, a collapsed lung, all these injuries, his skull has been removed, his brain is uh, sitting outside of his head, skin is stapled down, no protective cover. And they're telling me, hope for the best. And I had to be reminded through one word, Rafa. Yehovah Rafa. God, my healer. You see, this is the power of the name. I didn't have to remember every prayer scripture I've taught. given scripture after scripture after scripture detailing the healing work of Christ. But in that moment, my humanity got the better of me. But the spirit of God in me reminded me simply with his name. And I begin to declare, Yahovah Rapha. They're throwing out all kinds of uh, acronyms, CVC, CBT, ABCDEFG, all this stuff at me at the hospital. I don't know what in the world they're talking about. I didn't know what was going to happen. What honed in? The next 48 hours will determine his, the rest of his life. That's the only thing I understood. So I went to God. And I said, God, I know you're a miracle worker. I know you're a miracle worker. I have no doubt. And I remember coming up in church... And I would hear people give these powerful testimonies. How God saved them, delivered them, healed them, broke this addiction or or that thing or, or, or pulled them out of some crazy life hanging in the balance crisis. Restored relationships. And I used to think to myself, well, I was just born in church. Brought up in church. Church is all I knew. I really didn't have this testimony. And and when I was younger, I used to tell God, well, I want a testimony. Boy, I didn't know what I was asking for. But the benefit of being in relationship with God Understanding who he is allowed me in a moment of weakness to remember his name. As a police officer, I've gone to many 
life-ending event. And the one thing that's been consistent over everyone that I've been through, been to, and I've literally been to hundreds, is that in the last breaths, humans are calling out the name of somebody. Whether it's their loved one or for those that are religious, their chosen belief, they're calling out somebody's name. Police officer not too long ago, his last breaths on the radio were to his wife and family. So-and-so, tell them I love them. And those are the last words he ever uttered. This is the power of the name of God. Because when you can remember the name of God, and you can stand upon the name of God, you know exactly what's going to happen. So I stood on the name Yahovah Rapha. Saints, I, I, I'm going to tell you, I can pray with the best of them. I can get eloquent with the word of God with the best of them. I can lay down some scripture and, 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 and give some words. I can talk in Hebrew and Greek. I, I can do the whole thing and, and all that. When I was standing over my son, I laid my hand on his head and I said, Yahovah Rapha, my healer. You see, I didn't need to be eloquent because I knew his name. I didn't need to be specific in the sense of documenting all the history of prayer language. All I needed to know was his name. Because everything that I needed was in his name. Jehovah Rapha, my healer. You see, understanding God as Elohim, speaking of his creative genius and awesome power, his multidimensional, multi-present capacity is wonderful. But if I did not know his name as Jehovah, the relational one, then God becomes distant from me. And because he's distant, do I have the right... To even come into his presence in my hour of need. You see, it's almost, in a way, you, when we look at God, we, we're like teetering on the line of making him too common or making him so disconnected from us that in either case we cannot access who he is. But one of the most frequently used names throughout the Old Testament, in fact, it's used 6,519 times, check the text. In our contemporary mindset, it's God's most famous name. It's the name that God 
used the most because it's God's desire the most. Jehovah, the relational one. You have to keep in mind the word God can be somewhat vague, and a a number of religions use the word God. But in the word of God, the one true God reveals himself, his character, his specificity, and his identity through his names. I'm going to close with this right here. To best understand the meaning of the name Jehovah, we need to take a look at the life of Moses. In the third chapter of the book of Exodus, we find Moses struggling with his purpose, like many of us are still doing now. We can relate to his dilemma through a series of events. This man with uh, the promise of a great future has become uh, a very insecure, babbling person. He's blown his privileged upbringing by committing a murder in the land that he thought was his home. In his mind, he had been defending his blood relatives, which were the Hebrews, from the people who actually raised him, which were the Egyptians. The Hebrews didn't identify Moses as one of their own, so when he kills an Egyptian who had been attacking a Hebrew, they simply saw it for what it seemed, a violent act from an angry man. You see, when you don't know who you are, frustration sets in. You see, Moses was rejected from both groups of people. After this act of bloodshed, he even feared for his own life, and he fled to a desert land and becomes a shepherd. In 40 years, he's herding sheep in the land of Midian. It's reduced this once confident leader to nothing much in his own eyes. So when God shows up in the midst of a burning bush, revealing himself to Moses and giving him a vision of his destiny to lead uh, Israel out of slavery in Egypt, Moses responds like Robert De Niro does in the 1976 movie Taxi Driver. He begins to gaze into the mirror and he says... You talking to me? You talking to me? I don't see no one else standing around here. I guess I'm the only one standing around here. Think about this from the perspective of Moses. This had to be a very intimidating request. In fact, Moses had been doing exactly, exactly the opposite of God's request for the past four decades. He had been running from Pharaoh, not running to Pharaoh. He was fleeing Egypt. He was not racing to go toward Egypt. Yet a spiritual principle applicable to all of us he, it shows up here in the life of Moses. You see, God didn't set Moses free from the wrath of the Egyptians simply so that Moses could be free God never delivers someone from something just for that person's own sake. You see, God's greatest aim is always his own glory. So God's purpose on earth are for the advancement of his kingdom and his glory. And and God provides a way for Moses to escape his punishment in Egypt so that Moses could eventually lead an entire race of people out of Egypt to worship God. You see, God never delivers us so that we might forget him. 
God always reveals himself and delivers us so that we might worship and fully know him. And the wonderful thing about God is because when you begin to understand who God is, you don't have to wait until the deliverance happens to worship him. You see, the old folks used to say, don't wait till the battle is over. You can shout now. Because if you really understand who God is, you know you have already won. As a matter of fact, you won before the battle even started. And as I'm thinking about this and God is revealing this to me and he's encouraging my heart, he said, before you even asked for healing. I already, because I am. You're just getting to where I've already been. Because I am. Yes, sir. But Moses, he balks at this bush. Just like many of us have done. Just like many of us are doing right now. So I'm excited to talk about the name of God. Jehovah. You see, Moses, fearful and uh, afraid at God's request, counters God with a question of his own. And I'm going to give you this thought, a translation of this text written by Dr. Tony Evans, where he puts it this way. And I, I love how he words this. Moses says, okay, God, so you want me to go down and tell Pharaoh that he's supposed to let your people go. I get that, sure. But when I do, people are going to start asking me a lot of questions. Like, who died and made you boss? You see, Moses was concerned about what Pharaoh and the Egyptians would think and do, and he uh, was also concerned about how the Hebrew people would respond. As you read in Exodus 3 and 13, Moses came straight out with his concern. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? I love God's succinctness. He says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Now, this is especially important Not just because of the number of times it's used, Jehovah, I am who I am. It's important because God himself is telling Moses and essentially his chosen people of Israel that this is who he is. In fact, this name is so sacred in Jewish culture that the Jews don't even dare speak it for fear of breaking prohibition against taking the names of the Lord in vain. It's just three Letters in their alphabet. 
And because of this, we have lost touch with the correct pronunciation. Even when the scribes who copied the Bible came upon this sacred name of God, they silently read over what they had just copied without even pronouncing his name. The four consonants in this self-revealing name of God form what is called the Tetragrammaton. In fact, the literal translation of the word is simply the four letters. Y-H-W-H. You see, they are the letters Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey. The combination of these consonants is derived from a word that means to be. Because all four letters are consonants, the vowels from the Hebrew word for Adonai are later added in order to help us pronounce the name. But initially, his rendering of God's name, Yah, Hey, Vav, Hey, this was Yahweh. When it was translated into English, it became the name which most of us today know it as Jehovah. So when you hear the name Jehovah, you ought to keep in mind that this is the Hebrew name Yahweh, which comes from the God-given name Yahavahay, meaning I am the existing one. And on another note, when you come across Lord, in all caps, or God in all caps, you can know that it is the translation of the Hebrew Yahweh or Yehovah. You see, God has so many names, each reflecting specific character qualities and attributes. It's important to know just how he is revealing himself in whatever particular passage you are reading or the application of who he is in your crisis. You see, we can't comprehend him in his entirety, but we can learn more about him, be given greater knowledge and insight into which name God is using to reveal himself at any point or place in Scripture. You see, God wants you to understand certain things about him so that you can deal with everything that you're going to deal with in life. There is absolutely nothing that you cannot go through in this life for which the name of God by itself is enough to see you through. Amen. Amen. If you simply take time to get to know who God is, if you just take time my oldest son's middle name is Royce. The translation of that name is son of Roy. That's who he is. He is the son of Roy. This is what his name means. So then when I look at him and I call him by his name, what I'm saying is, my son. 
when you know the name of God. You're not just saying a name. What you're saying is God, my healer. God, my deliverer. God, my peace. God, my salvation. God, my redemption. God, my father. God, my friend. God, my substance. God, my resource. God, my everything. Simply by declaring his name. You see, this is what the enemy does not want you to understand. Because it is at the name of Jesus that every knee is going to bow. And every tongue is going to confess that he is Lord. The name. This is why he tries to steal your identity. Amen. This is why he tries to rob you of your time with God. This is why life has become so busy. This is why there's so much distraction in the earth. This is why oftentimes the only time you pray is when you're in need. I've got to a place in my life where I can't imagine life without God. If the only time I talked to my wife was when I wanted something from her, we would not have a very good relationship. It probably would not be a lasting one. But I talk to her when I don't need anything from her. Why? Because I want to know about her. I'm still learning over 30 years. I'm still learning. I'm still enjoying learning more and more, seeing the beauty of who she is, watching her engage life, engage her children, engage our relationship, learning more day by day because it's making me better. How much greater you might miss a couple of episodes of whatever your favorite whatever is. But I would rather lose everything and not lose him. Because if I have him, I have everything. This is why God wants you to know who he is. Because life is real. Life is real, and it's coming for you. More so now than even in seasons past, because I believe that we are so close. I believe that there are people in this room that will see the rapture of the church. I believe it without hesitation. The signs have already been set. I believe it. I don't know, and I'm not a political person, 
But just here recently, President Biden made a statement after he came back from this summit that he was in. And this statement was the echoing of a question he said he was posed by the leaders of Russia and the leader of China. And that question was, can democracy stand? Can democracy accomplish in today's society what is necessary for nations to flourish? And he talked about the incapability of our nation at this time to get anything done. Where even within the same party, the ideological thinking of one group of people, even they have become fractured and cannot agree within themselves on the best course of action to take. And out of that conversation, President Biden said this, maybe it is better for an autocratic that is a one ruler system to be in place. People of God, this is the introduction in the political seats of power to prepare the way for the Antichrist who will be that one world ruler. It's already being set in place. And I'm, I'm telling you, this is, this is the power base that's happening. Everyone knows you can't have power without finance. If you're paying attention, you will realize that right now is the greatest push for cryptocurrency has ever been seen by humanity. And the reason for it is that cryptocurrency is one currency that encompasses the entire world. When the Antichrist comes, the Bible says there's going to be one ruler, there's going to be one money, there's going to be one religion. But before all of that happens, we're not going to be here. We're not going to be here. You can be a pre-tribulationist, you can be a, or you can be a post-tribulationist or a mid-tribulationist all you want. I'm a pre-tribulationist. That means before the tribulation, I'm going to be gone. I, I don't force people to believe what I believe. You don't have to believe what I believe. And my belief is not dependent upon your belief. My belief is dependent upon the word of God. And the word of God declares that he's removing me from this trouble. So when I see the foundation of this trouble being established. I told my wife the other day, you, you may never get the grandchildren you want. Amen. But you're going to have plenty of family. And when you get to heaven, you will care less that you didn't get to enjoy them here. Hallelujah. God wants you to know who he is. 
so that while we're here in the earth, we can accomplish by walking in what he has done, deal with life through who he is, not through who you are. I would never have been able to handle what my son is going through had it not been for me knowing who God is, period. Never would I have been able to handle it. I don't wish that on my worst enemy, but it's taught me to cherish relationship with people. Because Solomon said it best, life is but a vapor. It is here one moment and it is gone the next. Take advantage of the time that God is giving you with each other. Loving each other, supporting each other. Spend less time being angry. Spend less time being frustrated because at the end of the day it doesn't mean anything so what he didn't put his shoes in the right spot and he left one shoe in the living room and one shoe in the hallway that's okay just pick up the shoes and put them where you want them sooner or later he'll get it together hallelujah Because what's most important and what you will miss is when that one shoe is no longer in the living room and it's no longer in the hallway because that person is no longer here. You can't go back, but you can always press forward. Know who God is, which will tell you who you are. Because of I am, I can. God bless you. believe wholeheartedly in the sacraments. As a matter of fact, Jesus didn't ask us to remember too much. But this he said, do in remembrance of him. This that represents the body and the blood of our Lord. This that allows us connection to who he is remembering what he has done, living in a state of thanks because of his grace. 
The Bible declares that after the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. And as often as you do this, do it in remember, remembrance of me. After the same manner also, he took the cup. When they had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. As often as ye drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. The bread and the body, the juice and the blood. The blood of Jesus that was poured out for us. The blood of Jesus that washed us and has made us whole. The blood of Jesus that has brought restorative life into us. Understanding that Holy Communion reminds us of his death, burial, and resurrection. It reminds us of the moment that Jesus stepped out of time to deal with all of time and then stepped back in time to finish the work. That you and I today could be holy righteous because this is what he has imputed upon us we have been made this because of his obedience so that now when God the father looks at us he sees the reflection of himself he sees his son hallelujah father bless now these sacraments let them be a constant reminder of your grace toward us. The love that you showed us and that you thought it not robbery to leave your exalted position. To take upon yourself the form of lowly flesh. In a manner in such that we would have a high priest that was touched by every one of our infirmities yet without sin. Fulfilling the law. Completing the work. Doing what needed to be done. And that in that grace, before you went back to be with your father, you said it was finished. The work has been done. The plan has been fixed. We have been redeemed. We have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. So, Father, we say thank you. Jesus, we say thank you that you did this for us because you want to have relationship with us. Hallelujah. We thank you. We thank you. We will never forget what you've done for us. In the name of Jesus. Amen. I ask that you come from the back. Let us fellowship together. If you are unable to walk, I will bring this to you.
let us open the top portion and remove the wafer. Because of COVID, we've had to switch to this, but I have to be one to tell you that I don't really appreciate this because the wafer looks nothing like the story. You see, the wafer was made specifically that we might be reminded of his bruises, that we would be reminded of his piercing. You see, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes, we were made whole. So I thank God for the body, and I give you thanks. We break it, and we eat. Had it not been for the shedding of his blood, the fulfillment of the sacrifice for the redemption, I would not be able to declare today that I am the redeemed of the Lord. So as I drink this juice, I'm reminded that he shed his blood for me. That he did what I could not do. He went where I could not go. He endured what I could not endure. Simply because he loved me. And the centurion pierced his side. And from his side blood and water flowed. And I say thanks. Let us drink. the blood
one day when I was lost, one day when I was lost, Jesus died upon. Remember one day, one day when I was lost, Jesus died upon the cross. And I know, and I know it was the blood for me. thank you for this amazing day for the visitation of your spirit for the declaration of your truth father go with each and every one of us into our respective destinations keeping us in your safe and care and father empower us through your love to be your mirror in the earth that everywhere we are to find ourselves we would reflect you in those times in of our greatest need let us remember who you are that we might declare your name and thereby rest in what you have already done all for your glory all for your honor in the name of Jesus we thank you right now and celebrate you in Jesus name amen love you mama